We have heard much uh, this week about uh, the Macedonian call, and we're going to hear it one more time, okay? Uh, maybe that's what God has for us. Anyway, uh, open your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we're going to begin reading with verse 5. Uh, let's, let's begin with verse 6, okay? Uh, now when they had gone through Pergia and the regions of Galatia and was forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, and they were coming to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing through Mysia came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia, and he prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately he endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Dear Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning through your word. Now, your word is power. Uh, my words have no power. But dear Lord, your word is infallible, inspired, and errant. And it will speak to our hearts if we will only listen. So I pray this morning, dear God, that you would give me the ability to deliver the message that you've laid on my heart for this hour. And I pray, dear God, that you would speak to the hearts of your people this morning. And we'll praise you, dear Lord, for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, Dr. Warren Wiersbe, in speaking of this particular passage, he mentioned that in Psalms 37, verse 25, the Bible says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And thank God they are, amen. But then he said, uh, not only are the steps of a good man ordered by the Lord, but the stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord. In other words, uh, sometimes God says, stop, stop. And uh, I, I know that we get frustrated when that happens. Because we've got our minds made up and we know what we're going to do and, and we don't want anybody to bother us in that. The stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now you know the story. Uh, Paul and Silas had started out on the second missionary journey. They were planning to go back to Asia. But uh, as they were traveling and and God forbade them to go back. And they said, okay, maybe Bithynia. And no, no, that's not it. And in a vision, Paul saw this man from Macedonia. Come over into Macedonia and help us. 
Uh, Asia had heard the gospel. Uh, Europe had never heard the gospel. And so God is speaking to Paul and his team to go into Europe. And thank God he did. Amen. We are a result of that going even today. In uh, 1961, uh, I was pastoring a church in Providence, Kentucky, the Second Baptist Church. Uh, Providence, Kentucky had a big population of 3,500 people. Uh, at that time, I was a Southern Baptist, and I had that there were three other Southern Baptist churches in Providence. And then there were other Southern Baptist churches near Providence. Not only that, there was the uh, Pentecostal church, there was a Methodist church, a Presbyterian church, and so on and so forth. And uh, in 1961, I, I wrote a mission pamphlet, and it was published by the uh, Western Recorder, which was the official state paper, Baptist state paper of Kentucky. And uh, several weeks after uh, publishing that in the Western Recorder, I got a letter from Japan. Uh, now, the Western Recorder went to every Baptist church in Kentucky. But many of the uh, young men that were around the world serving God well, it was trained at Louisville Seminary, and this was the case of the person giving the letter that I got. Uh, the letter was from Donald Mobley, and uh, he began the letter by saying, Brother Sisk, uh, I know nothing about you. I do not know your educational attainment. I do not even know your age. Uh, I, I know nothing about you, basically. But he said, uh, as I read your article, I could not help but think, whoever wrote this article has a heart for missions. And then he said to me, my wife and I are the only missionaries in Akita, Japan. Akita is a prefecture, like a state. He said, uh, there are 3.5 million people in Akita, Japan. A little bit different from 3,500, amen. And uh, he said several things about the need of, of that place. And at the end of his uh, letter, he posed a question. And he said, Brother Sisk, what would keep you from coming to Japan. Wow. There stood a man from Macedonia saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. Uh, I, I didn't know how to answer the letter. I think I did answer him. I'm not sure what I told him. But uh, the next Wednesday night, I read that letter to my church and I said, uh, please pray. Here's a question that I have to 
to answer. A few days after that, I went to an evangelistic conference in Louisville, Kentucky. And at that evangelistic conference, there was a great mission message. Uh, the messenger was Dr. Baker Cawthon, who was the executive secretary of the Foreign Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Dr. Baker Cawthon that night preached on the untold millions. The untold millions. As I sat there at the Ninth and Old Baptist Church in Louisville and thought about the message, I thought, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to get my church more involved in missions. Uh, I'm going to try to get other churches in our area to get more involved in missions. But before the service was over, it was very evident that that was not what God was speaking to my heart about. And uh, I went home that night. They did not give an invitation. But I knew for sure that God was talking to me about going to Japan as a missionary. And I went home that night. I had a roommate, Brother Archie Oliver. And uh, when Archie went to sleep, I got up out of my bed. You say, how did you know he was asleep? Uh, I've never roomed with a preacher yet that did not snore, okay? <laughs> so when uh, Archie began snoring, I said, okay, <laughs> uh, he's asleep. And uh, I slipped out of my bed with my Bible and went into the bathroom and literally fell on my face before God. And I said, in essence, dear God, I, I don't really know how I could even go to Japan as a missionary. But if, if you will open the doors and show me how I can go, uh, I'm committing my life to that. The amazing thing is that two and a half years after that, uh, my wife, myself, our two children, we found our way to Japan. What would keep you from coming to Japan? I preached this message a few years ago at West Coast Baptist College. And several people made commitments that day. I did not know about them. Usually you don't. But there were two particular people that made commitments. One of them was a young lady by the name of Rebecca. The other one was a young man by the name of James. And they did not know each other, but both of them that day committed their lives to go to Japan as missionaries. Five years later, they became husband and wife. Uh, up until that time, they, they did not know that either of, the, either of them had made a commitment that time. But today, uh, they have been in Japan now for six years. They've learned the language. Uh, they have three children, and God is blessing and using them. What would keep you from going to Japan? I, I wonder today if we would listen to the voice of God. 
I mean, it, it's, it's one thing for God to be speaking. Uh, it's something else for us to be listening. So I'm, I'm wondering today if we would listen, if we would really listen, if maybe God may be speaking and saying, uh, come over into Romania and help us. Come over into Italy and help us. Uh, come, come over into Japan and help us. By the way, 127 million people, fewer than 1% claim any kind of Christianity whatsoever. And if you're talking about born-again Christians, you're probably talking about fewer than one in every thousand people. Come over and... And help us. Uh, young ladies, I, I wonder if uh, you would not listen this morning and God would be speaking to you. Uh, think about all of the places in the world that need orphanages. The street children of Bolivia, the street children of the Philippines, uh, all over the world, there are children that have no parents. Nobody to care for them. I think of the amazing orphanages that have been established in Uganda. And there's, there's always a need for young ladies to come and get involved in ministries of that nature. Come over into Macedonia and help us. Commitment was, dear God, if you will open up the doors, then we will go. I went back home. I told my wife about it. We had discussed missions many, many times. And uh, I had not been back home. Now, remember, I was a Southern Baptist. I had already, already realized that I could not go to seminary at Louisville, Kentucky because it was very liberal. And uh, in order to go to the mission field with the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, you had to be a seminary graduate. Not only a seminary graduate, but their seminary graduate. And uh, so I knew I could not go with the Southern Baptist Convention. And I had not been home but a few months after that until there was a mimograph sheet that came in the mail. I don't even know how they got my address. But it was from a mission organization that had been started in 1960. And it was called Baptist International Missions Incorporated. And I read that mimograph pamphlet, and I began to think, these people believe the same thing I do. Uh, these people think the same way I do about missions. And bottom line is, eventually, uh, I went to Japan as a missionary uh, under the auspices of Baptist International Missions Incorporated. Now, that, they did not send me to the mission field. My sending church sent me. Mission organizations are not sending organizations. They are helps organizations. I remember after being approved by BIMI, and Dr. Freeney came out and said, okay, Brother Sisk, you're on your way. And I thought, I knew I was on my way. 
I just didn't know if I was on my way with BIMI or not, okay? In other words, I knew that eventually God would get me to Japan. What would keep you from going to Japan? What would keep you from going to any of the other great mission fields of the world? Notice, if you would, after he had seen the vision, the Bible says, and after he had seen the vision, notice the word, immediately, immediately we endeavored to go into Europe. Notice the word immediately. Uh, no procrastination. Uh, somebody's well said, most young theological students are dying from analysis of paralysis. The paralysis of analysis. Oh, well, we better check with this, we better check with that, we better do this. We better, you know? They knew God had spoken to him. And immediately, uh, it was an immediate action. They began to make plans. And by the way, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. They began to burn some bridges. And uh, if you're going to be a real missionary, uh, you're going to have to burn some bridges. When Virginia and I went to Japan as missionaries, uh, it took all the money we could muster just to buy tickets to get to Japan. Uh, we did not have any excess money. There was no way we could come back to America if we wanted to, okay? Because we had no money at all, and the Pacific Ocean is a little bit big to swim, okay? <laughs> By the way, about the same time that I went to Japan as a missionary, there was a, another man that I knew from Cincinnati, Ohio. He was a businessman, and he felt that God wanted him and his wife on the mission field. And uh, he left a brand new house, just locked it up. And in the garage of the brand new house was a practically new automobile. And they had not been in, in Okinawa very long until his wife got sick. The mission field makes a lot of people sick, amen. And when they did that, they returned. They didn't burn any bridges. Okay? If you're going to really be serious about serving God, if you would really be serious about listening to God and saying, uh, dear God, I'll go. Just show me where you want me. And I, I will go. They refused to look back. You remember the story of Borden of Yale. After committing his life to be a missionary, he wrote in his Bible, no reservations. No reservations. In other words, uh, th this is it. 
somewhere along the line, uh, we need to do that. Uh, after going through Yale and other preparation, he wrote in his Bible, no retreat. No, no, I, you know, a lot of people thought now that he is uh, so successful in all these other things he's doing, uh, he'll forget about his commitment to be, no, no, no retreat. And then just before his death, he wrote in his Bible, no regret. By the way, you'll never regret doing what God wants you to do. You say, but he only lived a little while. It doesn't make any difference how long we live. It's how we live that makes it different. Would to God there'd be some people today that rather trying to super analyze everything that we would listen to the voice of God. Come over. Come over and help us. There are billions of people around the world today that have absolutely no one to tell them about Jesus. Immediately. Immediately. Today. If you hear the voice of God. Don't, don't try to muffle God's voice. Uh, don't, don't try to get away from making a commitment to do exactly what God wants you to do. Immediately. You begin to make plans to do what God wants you to do. I was with a young preacher several years ago, and uh, time after time, this young preacher made this statement. Brother says, I'd give anything if I could be a missionary. I'd love to go to the mission field and so forth. And, and I heard that so many times that one day when we were eating lunch, I said to him, I said, uh, I, I tell you what you ought to do. I said, uh, uh, you, you ought to uh, resign your church, uh, find a field that really needs missionaries, and by the way, uh, that'll not be hard to do. Uh, go on the web pages of mission organizations, uh, go on the web page and look at the needs of the world, uh, watch the television and see the great needs of the world today. And I said, do your deputation, and you go to that mission field. And he said, well, I'm, I'm not sure God has called me. And I said, you go to the mission field, a great needy field, and there's so many of them. And uh, you win people to the Lord. And uh, uh, you, you train young people for the work of God, and you start churches. And I said, even if God didn't call you, he would probably forgive you. <laughs> now I wonder this morning, 
if maybe God would not forgive us if we would volunteer to some mission field. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? By the way, if you look at that call of, in Isaiah chapter 6, it's a rather generic call. God didn't say, Isaiah, could I send you? Isaiah, would you go for us? It simply said, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here's my sister, send her. No, that's what a lot of you red-blooded American men are saying today. No, Isaiah said, Lord, how about me? Would you let me go? God accepts volunteers. Would you let me go? And the next verse, and God said, go and tell this people. And I believe this morning, if many of you would volunteer to go to some needy field around the world, that God would say to you, go and tell this people. Notice the next word. And immediately we endeavored. In other words, this is not a passive willingness. It was an honest effort. Immediately we endeavored to go. Now, to be sure, you commit your life to the Lord, I can guarantee you there will be some hindrances. The devil will try to hinder you. God may try you. But we ought to be able to say with the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if needs be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. In spite of the obstacles, in spite of the trials, by the grace of God, we should be faithful to our commitment. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us. Not just emotional. We are emotional people and God uses our emotion. But a conscious commitment based on simple facts. For Paul and Silas, two doors had been closed. Asia, Bithynia. There were people 
who had never heard the gospel. They knew what those people needed. Nobody has to tell us this morning. People are dying, going to hell by the millions. Many of them having never heard the gospel message. We know what they need. Not only that, we have what they need. We have what they need. And I am able to take this person, Christ, to them. We endeavored immediately to go and preach the gospel. In 1964, Virginia and myself were approved by BIMI's missionaries to Japan, sent out by the Calvary Baptist Church in Harvey, Illinois. We knew very little about Japan. Back in those days, our mission was brand new. It started in 1960. They didn't know anything. No candidate school. No, this is the way you do it. No, none of that. In fact, uh, our candidate school consisted of them saying, God bless you. And uh, from that time till we went to the mission field, we didn't see most of those board members again. But in 1965, we landed in Japan, Tokyo, Japan. And uh, it, it was a long journey. Neither Virginia nor myself had ever been on a commercial plane. And uh, every time we hit a air bump, I thought we were going down. After three million miles on Delta, I'd go through the storms, okay? <laughs> we landed in Japan, and I, I remember all the frustration that was in my own mind. I hope I've got all my papers right, all those things and so forth. I only had one good feeling. People were hurrying and scurrying everywhere, and I looked around, and I was the tallest man there. <laughs> That's the first time that had ever happened. In my life. <laughs> Soon after being in Japan, two weeks later, we were in language school. And only, only God could do what we saw him do. I began to study the language after I'd been studying Japanese for nine months. I decided I'm going to preach in Japanese. That's a big mistake, okay? I wrote the message out. I read it to my wife. I read it to my language teacher. I, I had a place up in the mountains where I would go and have my devotions and I, read it beside the river there and so forth. And it, it was a group of believers, maybe 15, 20 people, something of that nature. 
The room was stuffy. We had uh, kerosene heaters. Uh, the light was not good. I lost my place in the outline. It's the most horrible experience I've ever had in my whole life. When I got through preaching that night, one of the Christians prayed like this, Dear Lord, we love Brother Sisk, but we didn't understand anything he said. <laughs> now, now that, that's funny in 2020. <laughs> but it wasn't funny in 1965. Now, I went home that night. I wept. I reminded God that it, it was not my idea to come to Japan. We had two other missionaries in our organization that got to Japan about the same time we did, Ron White and Dave Markham. Every Friday morning, we would have a prayer meeting at 5 o'clock. So we met for the prayer meeting on, on that morning. As we began to think about things to pray about, I said to them, I said, fellas, I want you to pray that God will give me a good Bible-believing, fundamental Christian interpreter. We were all three working in one church. And I said, I believe God wants me to start a church, but I'll have to have an interpreter if I do. And they laughed as if I was joking with them. In essence, they thought that there's none of that kind of people around here anywhere. Just a few months later, I went to a Christmas gathering in Kobe. I sat beside a young man, and uh, we conversed a little bit in Japanese, and then he began to speak English, and his English was nearly perfect. And I said to him, where did you learn English? And I found out that he had practiced English for a long time by uh, meeting Americans in Japan. And then he went to school in Pennsylvania. And he told me his testimony. He said, I was working in a hospital, and one of the nurses said to me, Keita, I'd like you to go to camp with me. They have horseback riding. They have baseball. They have swimming, all the things that Japanese like. He said, she didn't tell me. They are preaching. They are Bible study. <laughs> they, they, you know, all of it. But anyway, he got saved. It was Word of Life Camp in Scroon Lake, Illinois. I was Scroon Lake, New York. And he said to me, he said, I'm going back to seminary in August of next year. Until then, I'd like to work with a missionary. Wow. Is God a great God or not? Long story short, he became my interpreter. And uh, we started the Cindy Newtown Baptist Church. That was near his home. He lived in Cindy. Cindy Newtown was a place where before there were all kind of mountains. They bulldozed down those mountains, put it out in the bay, and that's where the Kansai Airport is situated today. And on that land where they had bulldozed down all those mountains, they built big high-rise apartments. 
And in 1966, February of 1966, we started Ascending Newtown Baptist Church. We scheduled meetings for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, we had spent time in praying. We visited every one of the 40,000 homes in that area. And I was hoping and praying some people would come. We were meeting in a small room about the size of this room, maybe a little smaller. And uh, it was on the third floor of a big building. And I would uh, go down and find people ready to come up and show them the way up. Then I would go back down and so forth. And just before the meeting was to start, a young man came to me. He uh, pro probably was maybe 110 pounds, but kind of cocky young fellow, okay? And he said to me, he said, Mr. Sisk, and he spoke English real well, I want you to know I don't have any interest in Christianity. I came here tonight to practice my English. And I had two bad thoughts. Number one, I didn't come 7,000 miles so somebody could practice English. Number two, my Kentucky and English is nothing for anybody to practice on. <laughs> so we're both in bad shape. But I got along with God and some of the people that were helping us in the meeting. By the time the meeting started, there were about 60 people in the meeting. I dare say 50 of them had never one time been in any kind of a Christian service. That night I preached a very simple gospel message. And after the message, I said in simplicity, if you would like to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please lift your hand. Now, if you've ever been to Japan, if you know anything about Japan evangelism, you recognize what a miracle this was. Eleven people lifted their hands. Among those eleven people was that young man. And he said to me, I've never heard that story before, but I'd like to become a Christian. He got saved along with the 11 other, or 10 other people. About six months after he'd been saved, by the way, after he got saved, he lost all of his interest in English. All he wanted to do was read the Bible and pray and visit with me. He said to me one night, Teacher, I'd like to spend the rest of my life just doing what you're doing. Now, he didn't know the terminology. But that was a call to preach. But he said, I have to go home and tell my mom, my brother, and my sisters about my commitment. And he did. Three days later, he came back to my house. He looked like a dead man. For three days, three solid days. By the way, he was from a very wealthy family in Himeji, Japan. His dad had died, but he was on a big implement company. The priest, the Buddhist priest, the mayor of the city, 
all of his family, tried to convince him to renounce his faith in Christ. He came to my house that night and he related in detail what I've told you very briefly. But he did. He looked like he was a dead person walking. And I remember me saying to him, So Godo, I don't have any idea what you're going through. I didn't have to face any of that. But I said, God knows. And we got on our faces before God that night. And I heard this young man pray like this, Dear Lord, you know I love my family. And I don't want to hurt them. Lord, you know I love my country. And he does. But Lord, I love you more than all of these. And all I could think of that night was, God is making a diamond. The only difference between a diamond and a piece of coal is the amount of pressure applied. That was in 1966. He had been pastor of the Sydney Newtown Baptist Church for 53 years. We went back for the 50th anniversary in 2016. The church is a church of about 700 people. And that doesn't sound real big in America, but that's huge in Japan. A choir sang that day. They were all graduates of the Bible school we started, all in full-time Christian ministry, 65 of them. The church has seven missionaries on foreign fields. They've started eight other churches in their area. Uh, last year, last week, I got a text from Brother Ogawa. They just had their new faith promise commitments. And he said, last year we gave $185,000 to missions. I'm sure glad that by the grace of God, I didn't sit around and analyze, is there any way for me to go to Japan? Can I? No, no, no. I'm so glad I said to God, dear Lord, if you'll make a way, I'll go. I'll guarantee you today, if you would say to God, I'll go help those orphanages. I'll go evangelize in those areas. I'll go and preach the gospel. Come over into Macedonia and help us. By the way, if you today would be willing to quit what you're doing right now, what would happen to your place? I'll guarantee you there'd be a lot of people that'd be willing to take your place. When I resigned my church in Providence, Kentucky, just a small church of 250 people, there were 13 
letters of application the very next week for that church. Don't overanalyze. Don't, don't say, I'm too important here. No, 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 no. If God speaks to your heart, there are people all over the world. There are cities all over the world with no witness. And they're crying. Come over into Macedonia and help us.